0: Hey guys, don't forget the 2023 Street Cop Training Conference, Nashville, Tennessee, April 23rd through the 28th. You do not want to miss this so far. Guest speakers, Rob O'Neill, the Navy SEAL that was responsible for killing Osama Bin Laden, Kyle Carpenter, U.S. Marine, Medal of Honor recipient, jumping on an IED to protect his platoon. Fox News host Tommy Lahren returns for 2023. Sheriff Wayne Ivey, Sheriff Mark Lamb, Sheriff David Clark, and more to come. You don't want to miss this event. We additionally have 20 of the country's top law enforcement educators giving you the best experience of your life. You will leave this event knowing more about your job and how to be proficient at the things you do hands down any other event that you'll ever attend. I personally guarantee it. Don't miss out. There's a room code at streetcop.com for our room block and room code at the Gaylord at Opry is where the event's taking place. Don't miss out on a discounted rate the rate is from Sunday to Thursday. Put that in and find yourselves at a half-price room. Split it with a friend, but make sure you get there. You don't want to miss this event. It is going to be that good. If you trust me and you trust Street Cop, trust that you will leave there feeling like you've had an experience of a lifetime. you trying to be a Street Cop? Hey, guys, welcome to this episode of the Street Cop Training Podcast. I'm your host, founder and CEO of Street Cop Training. My name is Dennis Benino, and today I have with me somebody who's renowned, worldly, known for her TED Talk with over a million views. You can almost double that number on other platforms. She is a leadership expert. She goes around to Fortune 500 companies, gives advice, trying to help all these companies progress in their leadership and growth mindset within the organization's I am very thankful that she agreed to come on our podcast today, but none other than, but none other than Dr. Karen Gordon. Give us a little background of Dr. Karen Gordon, because you are a very, very well-known person these days.
1: Well, thank you so much. So I my technical title, a leadership relationship expert. I'm the co-founder of a global leadership coaching company called DK Leadership. Uh, based in Canada, but we work with companies and industries right across around the world. Uh, been doing this for 25 years. Absolutely love it. Uh, I started my work 25 years ago in the family arena. My doctorate's in marriage and family. Uh, specialized with teenagers, also known as millennials. 25 years ago, worked at a started up a counseling practice within a medical office, and so that's where I kind of got my kickstart working with amazing family doctors. Um, in this building with 200 doctors. And so when the word got out, new counselors in town, she actually likes working with teenagers. A lot of therapists don't even like working with teenagers. I became very popular quickly. My practice exploded. I started doing speaking tours across the country and speaking tours and did that really for the first 10 years and became really in Canada, a teen expert or a millennial expert. And then what happened was millennials grew up, they headed into the workforce. And all of a sudden I started getting calls from the companies that I was sponsored by. So Pepsi, Microsoft, you know, uh, you know all kinds of like fairly large corporations that I developed these amazing relationships with, and they said, "Karen, you know, you specialize with teenagers and millennials. We are now hiring them, and we've learned that they need to man- be managed totally different. We're having engagement problems, retention problems. Managers don't know what they're doing." Could you take your doctoral training in that time? I By that time, I had my doctorate in family systems. Could you take it and transfer it or, into organizations? So that's what I did 15 years ago. And I learned it was actually pretty easy. So it doesn't matter if I'm working with a parent and a teenager or a manager and a millennial, like, apparently the exact same strategies actually apply. And so I've had so much fun working with companies. Our company has grown. Uh, we now have a whole team of people. And we really focus on leadership development, specifically focusing on emotional intelligence. And the reason is because... When we started really working with managers and teams on re- engage, engagement and retention, We figured out pretty quickly that the secret sauce was emotional intelligence. So if managers had really high EQ, they had better engagement, better, better retention. And so I became fascinated. What is emotional intelligence? Can you build it? Is it genetic? And the question is: yes, you can build it, and no, it's not genetic. So I just love this topic because it's it creates so much hope for all of us. And so now, as our company has grown, we work with, like I said, companies all around the world, every industry, profit, nonprofit, and we really work with all levels of leadership on really teaching and building your emotional intelligence. And the beautiful thing is you can apply this to both your professional life and your personal life. And I think that's why it really resonates uh, with a lot of people.
0: So awesome. Let me go off of this retention thing that you've mentioned earlier uh, in your introduction and tell you about the current state of affairs of a lot of agencies in the United States, which I'm sure you're probably familiar with, but to paint a picture for the audience, uh, which I imagine most of them are familiar with, right now, retention is a significant issue. As a matter of fact, I taught a course yesterday and I said, Folks, we're at the time in this country's history where, number one, there are not a lot of people applying to do this job. Uh, Number two, the people who now do this job are expecting to be treated well. Unfortunately, for some of you who are in leadership positions, you're not really grasping that. And what Mm -hmm. we see constantly is a lot of agencies, maybe some of them who pay more, are losing people to agencies who pay less but treat their people well. So the one significant factor in your formula for success as a law enforcement agency now is going to be not how much you can pay them. We're seeing that clearly in Minneapolis where they're offering $30,000 bonuses to and $250,000 salaries and nobody will still show up because you are no longer trusted because mm-hmm. you can't be trusted. You have completely disengaged support for your law enforcement and now you've made such a big mistake by publicly disgracing your law enforcement that mm-hmm. everybody's left. Mm A little more preface to this. Recently, the New Orleans Police Department encouraged people they previously disqualified to qualify as police officers to reapply. We're lowering the standards where if you have criminal backgrounds, we will take you as a cop. (laughs) So this is real. Uh, uh, We have, we, have a friend of mine at the NYPD told me recently what they're telling people at the NYPD is if you're on probation now, wait till it's over, come back and then we'll hire you. And that's the state of affairs of oh, law enforcement. And historically, brutal. in these agencies, it wouldn't be very far for you to travel to have to meet some folks and say, they treat us like shit here. Right. So. Right.
1: Yes. I love the data. And that's actually pretty scary, isn't it? I mean, this is like, let's just rate, like, let's just lower that bar. And you know, what's amazing to me about that is when again, when I started working with companies and I thought like, what is the secret sauce? How can you get really great uh, retention regardless of the industry, right? And I realized the secret was around treating people really well. Like this is so fundamental. This is so basic. I one of our one of our clients. She's like, I'm throwing more money um, at people. I'm like, you're throwing. You're that, that's that, that's not their currency. Like, the, you know, boomers might want, and this is a, the generational difference. Boomers may want more money and they want more security, but a, a millennial, a Gen X, for sure, Gen Z, money is no longer the highest value, and so. This is where, again, when I started doing the generational training with companies and I realized like I had to teach them, like you're, you're approaching this the way you would want to be with what your value system is, but not necessarily with what the new hires are. So part of retention and engagement is understanding who are you reaching and understanding that their value system is different. And for a lot of them, their highest value is I will take less money as long as I'm treated with respect. And, uh, and I want kind of career pathways. Yes, I want to be paid fairly, but money is no longer the highest currency. And so once people can kind of understand that um, and actually start really developing and, and training their leaders to, to really treat their team with respect, that's when you're actually going to start getting engagement and retention.
0: Why do you think money has become not the number one significant factor in retention?
1: Well, I think it's a good question. I mean, You know, when I do my generation, just yesterday, I was actually speaking at a company and doing training on the different generations and and what the currencies are for each generation. And boomers, for boomers, it was security. I mean, uh, certainly the traditionalist, the traditionalist, the boomer, you know, coming out of World War II when things were so scary, it's kind of, everything was about security. And I think now we're, there's at least enough security. I mean, for a lot of people, again, the research shows that we don't, from a happiness perspective, as long as our basic needs are met, you know, there's not a significant difference in terms of how much we earn in terms of the correlation with happiness. So, but we do have to have our needs met. And so I think because, you know, a lot of people do now have their needs met, obviously, you know, you know, some people don't and some people have more, some people have less. As long as our current needs are met, I think a lot of people, certainly for the next generation, they want more flexibility. They want more, they want more respect. That's going to be more of a higher value because they've got their security kind of already met. And I, so I think people are rethinking their life. And honestly, I find even since COVID that has even been accentuated because now people are like really rethinking their life. People are quitting jobs. People are moving. Like, so, you know, COVID's been, I think it's kind of amplified with what we saw before COVID, which was people are already starting to rethink their life. And I think we're seeing that even more now.
0: I often tell people, I think it's a really good idea to rethink your life and happiness is the variable. I had a guy come up to me in class yesterday and said, um, I just want to tell you that I, left the police department that I absolutely hate. And this is West Virginia. So money right. is really, just so you know, in the context of the United States, this is a place where they make far less than most places. And yeah. so the, the the number he throws at me is obviously not, in, in comparison to most people, is not significant. But to him, it was significant. He said, I took a $4 an hour pay cut and I went to another agency. And I only did it because it's something you said. And I got to just shake your hand and say, thank you, because I've never been happier in my life. And I always tell people, if you're going to make a shift in this industry, the biggest mistake you can do is look at what they make. What you should look for is how they treat their people and the culture. And there's actually one, interestingly enough, there's one variable that is almost a dead giveaway, and it's the police department's position on proactive police work. So typically, when a department encourages people to be proactive, go out, and has their best Interest in mind, they have support. They're saying to them, "It's a tough job. It's got to get done. We want you to do that for our community. And if you make a mistake, as long as it wasn't malicious, we're not going to hang you. And right. the other ones are the latter. And so people can't work under these conditions in a job that could kill you at every turn of the you know the corner."
1: Yes. Listen, we have to. We're at a state right now, uh, you know, from a cultural perspective, that people need to feel valued. They need to feel safe and they need to know that they're going to work in an environment that people are going to have their back. You know, if, if we're in a state of uncertainty, we're going to have like massive anxiety to the point that, I mean, we're seeing anxiety epidemic right now in America. Um, and so I think, you know, people are rethinking their life for, and this is good. This is a good thing to kind of everybody listening right now, pause and ask yourself, is the way you're living your life, is this kind of with what you envisioned or would you want to kind of make some changes? And then, and if you said, no, it's not because the stats say about 70, 80% of people are dissatisfied with their life and career. Then think about, okay, what are the changes that I could actually make? And I love with what you were actually just saying around that maybe it does mean making a shift. Maybe it does make me, but if you're going to do that, my greatest encouragement, I talk about this in my book, in terms, in terms of a critical thinking is I really identify what are your values? What are, are your values in your life and make decisions according to those values? That's where people make a misstep because a lot of people are like, well, I've got to get the highest paying job. Well, okay. You got the highest paying job, but you're put in a culture that you're not treated well. Is that, so there's a mismatch. So when I think about happiness and we talk about happiness in a lot of different ways. The secret, what I have found is know what your values are and make decisions according to those values. And that goes for both your life and actually your career.
0: The cultural position of now picking happiness over money, it's a real good thing for great employers. For sure. It's it's for me, it's great. Like send me, <laughs> I'm like, I'm like America in 1905. Send me your wounded, your whatever the thing says yes, on essential liberty. Sure. I'll take them all, right? Yes. Uh, now, listen, I've had my fair share. We have a pretty big organization here. We have a lot of employees. Um, we currently oversee about 60, 65 people here at this organization, and that's including in-house staff and instructors in the field. But it also means it's a bad thing for shitty employers. This yes. is a real bad scenario because people um, who think they can get away with mm-hmm. behaving in the manner that they have and mistreating others – They're really being held accountable now. And we have something in New Jersey, I'm sorry, New Jersey, in the United States called a vote of no confidence. Mm. So what they do now, if you're a chief of police and you're that bad, everybody signs a piece of paper and says, this guy can't work here anymore. (laughs) And nobody did this for a long time. And now that they're doing it, to me, it's a great thing because now there's accountability at the top. Oh my God, there could be a mutiny. I've got to bear this in mind.
1: Right. Which is great. You know what? This is these are all changes that are really good. Oh no. Right? Doubt. Yeah, they're really good. It's like the we're raising the bar. We're building more transparency. We're building it around more accountability. This, you know, everything we're talking about in terms of numbers and stats and retention. This is fantastic for nonprofits. This is fantastic for small businesses that say we don't have a whole lot of money. We don't have a whole lot of money to pay. I'm like, you don't have to. Like literally, when I share that bit of like good news with small business or nonprofits, they're like lies that light up. They're like, okay, so we just have to make sure that we train our people exactly so if there's if there's anything you're going to do just make sure that you're doing a little bit of investing for certainly that you're hiring well that you're promoting the right people and that you're investing so that your managers and your senior leaders really know in terms of how to do this well but that's essentially the only money that you, you really have to be spending so it's good news it's a good this is a good news story
0: you would like it here
1: yeah i probably
0: would we have a uh, impressive staff and it's never felt better than it has at this moment. And by the way, I've paid a lot of dues. I still mm-hmm. pay those dues to learn this, that, what was good, what was bad. Right. It actually leads me to my next question, which I think you're gonna like. And I, it's a two part question, but I'll start with the first one. Okay. What impact does a cancerous employee have on a company?
1: It's, unfortunately, it's it's very, it's a lot of power because toxic behavior, is poisonous and it's poisonous because uh, people tend to, uh, mirror with what they actually see. Okay. It's very contagious. So emotions are contagious. That's why, you know, you know, if you talk about, you know, being a great leader, when I ask people like, what's a great leader, well, they're passionate and they're charismatic and they're, you know, and we just feel better because emotions are contagious. Well, the opposite is true. If somebody is really toxic and they're really negative, and they're really pessimistic, or they're talking badly about other people, that's also poisonous. And it also kind of sets the standard. So it is really important When we start seeing toxic behavior within the workplace, the culture that we nip it in the bud, that we really kind of deal with it, that we try to deal with it head on. And one of the things that I do when we're working with different companies is there is a separate difference between people that are doing toxic behavior that they don't really even know that it's toxic. They've never been taught it versus they know it's wrong and they're doing it anyway. Okay. And so you want to kind of almost differentiate between those two different groups because where do we learn healthy behavior? Well, most of us don't learn it from our homes. We most of us don't learn it even in our college degrees or university or, you know, where we learn it is either if we're growth minded and we're actually like seeking it out, if we've done coaching or counseling or listen to podcasts. But most of us have not learned it. So I do like to give some grace to people that, like, God, I'm doing something toxic. I didn't even know it was toxic. I didn't know that. Talking about so-and-so behind their back is like toxic behavior. So I think it's really important that we differentiate between those two different groups because a lot of people are doing things that are toxic or poisonous or cancerous, but they're they're not even aware that it is toxic.
0: So what's a solution to address a toxic employee or a toxic coworker?
1: Well, there's lots of different ways. I am a big believer in training. And that's actually one of the reasons why we, we developed a leadership coaching company to work with different companies. Because a lot of HR, they didn't know, how do we do it? Do we do it head on? Do we kind of like deal with it right away? Well, you can. That's one way of actually doing it. I kind of, a, I like more of a softer approach. First. And it's kind of like understanding that a lot of us have not learned this behavior from anywhere else. So that's why we like to do training. We do we, we, uh, all kinds of different live and online courses where teams can actually all learn the behaviors at the same time. It's almost like if I said to you, okay, to have a really healthy team, you got to learn how to speak French. You just got to learn French. So, why not let's teach everybody French at the same time so that if somebody is speaking a different language, we can kind of like course correct it? It's, you know, to drive kind of alignment, you want to kind of be training everybody at the same time. And then if they are kind of stepping out of bounds from that healthy behavior, then you have a bit of a, a, you've got some guidelines, some foundations that you can actually refer them to. I like that approach better because it almost kind of meets a little bit people with where they're at because most people do not learn these tools other than in the workplace, to be quite honest, you know, I, like, you know, there are some people that are growth minded that kind of go out and seek us, you know, what is healthy behavior, but most of us actually don't. So that's why I'm a big believer in doing training to the entire teams at the same time. So everybody's learning, this is the code of conduct, this is healthy behavior. Um, and then it just kind of creates some, some guidelines in terms of how to, you know, basically holding people accountable to that moving
0: forward. What's your thoughts on essentially maybe, In one scenario, exhausting your options or another one, recognizing it and saying, seen this before, I know what this is. My best bet is to get rid of it before it starts to infect everybody else.
1: You mean in terms of like an actual employee? Yes. Well, and that's a lot of times with what HR do. I mean, a lot of time HR, like, okay, you know what? Let's, Let's try to train everybody. This is kind of the standard. This is kind of the code of conduct. And if somebody is not willing to learn, then- you know, extra steps, you know, whether whether it's preparation or whatever. And those are all the kind of the different steps that they actually have to take. Yes. In some cases, in some cases, for sure, that is going to be necessary. And the HR have to be very, very careful about how that's kind of all done. I have found it really depends around who you hire. Okay. So when we're talking about this whole notion about great leadership, the biggest thing, and I tell teams this all the time and HR all the time, it is so critical that you are hiring growth-minded individuals. So I don't look for perfect people. I don't look for, in terms of when we're hiring, we're not looking for perfection. What we're looking for are people that are willing to learn. If you are hiring people that are willing to learn, they haven't learned healthy behavior, but they want to learn it, fantastic. Versus a person that says, I have never learned it, and I'm not interested to learn it. So one of my, one of my little secrets, I tell a lot of the HR teams are like, well, Karen, how do we differentiate between this? I say, well, it's very easy. Let's offer some leadership courses and let's see who signs up voluntarily. Don't make it mandatory. Just open it up and you will see right very quickly who starts bubbling up in terms of who the person is that really wants to learn. And not only is that a great indicator in terms of who actually wants to learn, but it also is a great indicator of maybe who should be promoted, you know, so You know, there's lots of different skills that we can learn, but the biggest thing certainly that I recommend HR to look for when promoting and when hiring is hire people that are growth minded That say, I don't know a lot, but man, I want to be great at my job. I want to be great at my job. So send me all the training you can, because I really want to equip myself. So I do a phenomenal job. That's the person that you should be looking for in hiring. Not necessarily how many degrees and diplomas and badges that they have. You want to look for growth mindedness.
0: You said offer leadership courses, you know, often at the times here, I'll actually share with our team in a, in our group chat. Yeah, some YouTube videos that I find to be profound. And I don't mean things where I'm like, hey, this is who I want you to be. It's sure. just some real stuff about real reality and things that we tell our things just real, I, I would say not even growth mindset. Well, essentially growth mindset, not maybe in the business right. sense, but in the human right. sense of growth mindset. Sure. And it's Not uncommon for me to know who watched it. I can almost tell you who watched it and who didn't before I even, Mm -hmm. you know, I'll ask people, did you watch that? I didn't, I didn't get around to it. It was 11 minutes. It was really profound. So I just wanted to share it with you. I don't say, well, it's an order, Uh, you know, so Mm -hmm. it's, it's interesting that you say that I'm actually circled 64 times growth minded because (laughs) one of the hardest things about running an organization is actually selecting and hiring is, is a tricky thing because people interview very well. and. We're in the honeymoon phase of hiring when we hire people. People come in on their best behavior. The good thing is we're not micromanagers here, so it's, we, there's no leash. So essentially, it's free-roaming land. And yeah. if you tell the person, hey, this is where our territory is, and you decide to go off on your own somewhere, you know, i.e. leaving two hours early because you can, coming in late because you can sneak in, and I warn everybody, I'll find out eventually, but I don't run right. this organization as a micromanager. And yeah. it really yeah. is the ball in your court. And a lot of people have lost their positions here because mm. they didn't, you know, really understand the discipline of what that meant to not be managed by somebody. And training versus management are two different things. We do the best we can to train people, but once right. once we take their eyes off them, we'd like to see what they do. And it's like my theory: if you're late 15 minutes to your your, your interview, we're not hiring you because this right. is a Insight, an early look as to what I'm going to be getting. And mm-hmm. right? people say, Oh, why? Well, you know, I hit traffic. You should have thought of that. I'm, unfortunately, we're just fortunate right. enough to say, You know what? I know what this is. I've hired people like you before. Maybe you're not, but I'm going to play it safe this time so my insurance doesn't right. go up when I have to fire you. Right. Uh, so we're going to just pass on this one. You sounded great on paper, but you were late. You should have been here a half an hour early.
1: You know what though? It's interesting. I was just telling one of our clients that this morning. So uh, several years back, we hired an office manager and there was major construction happening outside of our office. And I didn't think about letting people know. I just, you know, when we were kind of like booking it, but it was very interesting because when I was doing the hiring, uh, the one person came in. So, you know, two people, both late. The first person, she was late. She comes in and she's like, "Uh, sorry, I was late. There was construction. Okay. So that's what she said. Second person though, very interesting. Sorry, I was late. there was construction. I should have given myself more time. Mm. That was the difference. That's who I hired. She was phenomenal. She was with us for 10 years. And so what was different is that she took ownership. So when you were thinking about hiring, uh, one of the things there's lots of different kind of questions and kind of tricks that I encourage uh, HR to look for when actually hiring because you're right. people can look you know perfect kind of on paper. But what I'm looking for is taking responsibility and taking ownership because we're going to all make mistakes. The key is, are we going to own it? or Are we going to blame it? Mm. Okay. So that would be kind of just something that I have found actually really helpful in terms of looking for like a little trick for the hiring process.
0: I also set the, speaking on that, I set the environment here that everybody knows that you can make a mistake and nothing's going to happen. It's when you're malicious and you're trying to deceit the system is when that's when I'm going to come after you. And, and you're not going to work here. I mean, we're not even playing the game anymore of, you know, I know you snuck out two hours early and didn't say anything and just did your own thing. That conversation is like, don't let me have it's no longer don't let that happen again. It's that's it. It's it's over. What well, right. for me? That's I'm done at that point because I've learned that lesson a couple of times where I've given people the benefit of the doubt. If you've made the decision this early in your career, we're a young company. And I think I set the precedent here to have ownership.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, back to my earlier question. This is the second part of it. We already talked about what do you do with cancerous or problematic or toxic employees. What do you do about cancerous or toxic employers?
1: That's a hard one um it's still manageable but you know I've we work with lots of different organizations kind of like that where the the middle managers or even some of the senior leaders they're really healthy they've got the healthy mindset they're sitting in the middle chair according to like in my book that I talk about it but learning how to assert yourself in a respectful kind, direct way to employers where there's a power imbalance is a whole other game. It's still possible uh, because we can always control ourselves. We cannot control other people. So you you can still do it. It's just a lot harder. And so sometimes in that interaction, the employer will change. They'll change. They'll have a little bit of an awakening. They might shift and other times they won't. And uh, in more times they won't. And so in that case, a lot of times what happens is people basically decide this. I can handle it so much but I think I'm going to move on. And so uh, that's where a lot of companies can really lose some fantastic people if the senior leaders are the the owners or the employers actually don't change.
0: It's very interesting that there's a lot of different variables of how somebody got into a position of senior leadership or ownership uh, with being the kind of person that they're regarded as. And in, in our world, unfortunately, right. um, the variable of progression in law enforcement, albeit let me say that there's both great and horrible bosses in this profession. I mean, there's some right. phenomenal chiefs, some phenomenal captains. I'm friends with those guys. Mm-hmm. The ones who I say this about, they run for the hills because there's accountability because we're saying, yeah, mm-hmm. you should behave. You should behave towards people. You should have compassion and kindness. And I would I would, argue treat people even better that work for you than the ones you're serving in the public. But it's just the opposite. We're treating people who are-
1: Right.
0: At sometimes coming in and filing frivolous complaints against police officers uh, for the 11th time this month. We're treating them better than we treat people who are showing up to essentially die on the sword and maybe even literally right. for peanuts for t- some some agencies in the United States 12 dollars an hour. Wow! So it's it's they have to understand now. We're trying to make this point. Like we'll work with you, but you can't get away with this behavior anymore. Nobody's yeah. going to tolerate it. And I'm one of those people who I don't just say it. I've actually performed it. I mean, I went to three police academies in the first four and a half years of my career and that was not a fun thing to do but everywhere I went I'm like oh this is I'm not staying here (laughs) this is this does not look like it's getting better and then the next place I went to I'm like this is better than the last place but uh this doesn't look like it's getting better to me and then the third place I said all right you know what I know I gotta go back to an academy again this is gonna suck for six months they're very hard but um, I'm willing to because this is where I see myself being in the career that I plan to have. And I, I encourage guys, like, f- push the anxiety to the side and just try to have a clear mind of what yeah. does it look like here in five years or 10 or 15? This is a whole career. Mm-hmm. It's a whole car- this is Are these the people you want to work for or work with? And mm-hmm. if they're not and there's no hope, maybe it's time to just rip the cord and, and move on to greener pastures.
1: Mm-hmm. And it's uh- – That takes a lot of guts, right? Takes a lot of guts. It takes a lot of self-reflection. It takes a lot of, you know, a lot of times people are very uh, reactive in terms of their decision-making. So, and that's why I encourage people to pause, like just pause, everybody listening, pause and ask yourself, is where I am right now in my life, is this really with what I want or do I want something a little bit different? And if I want something a little different, then what are my options? What are the things that, you know, you know, really lean into it? because, uh, and that's kind of like that whole kind of locus of control, the sense of, you know, we can't control external situations. We can control with what we do and, and really leaning in and kind of having that reflection, then starting to make a bit of a game plan. That's where the, the shift actually happens versus life is happening to me. And this sucks. And I don't know what I want to The people can be, can really fall victim, like really have, fall into that victim mindset, which is going to, uh, make them feel terrible about themselves. So there are choices, but it does require us to kind of stop, lean in and start to evaluate it.
0: Often, if somebody says they're going to leave an agency in our profession, they'll have coworkers who know the place is terrible and say things like this to them. I want to get your thoughts on this. Hey, bro, the grass isn't always greener, you know? <laughs> what, is that, what does that tell you about? Mm-hmm. I guess there's a two-part question here, is why would somebody stay? And why does somebody not want to see anybody else leave?
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Sound like misery loves company a little bit.
1: Yeah, a little bit. And sometimes, sometimes the people that stay, they're like, gosh, I would like to kind of maybe leave, but maybe I'm too close to retirement. Maybe there's a little bit of envy. It's a pretty gutsy move to want to leave, but there's also some truth to it, right? I mean, it isn't always, you know, it isn't more pleasant sometimes on the other side. So I think, again, it kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier about the value system. Like, I just encourage everybody when you're making decisions, just Spend some time in self reflection on what is it you want? What are the values you are looking for in your life as it relates to career, as well as with your personal life, and make decisions according to those values. As long as you can do that, you're going to have an alignment in terms of like inner peace. If you're not, you're going to be you're, there's going to be a disconnect and you're going to feel unhappy and resentful and maybe not really kind of know why. So, you know, to your point about, you know, why people will say that, well, people's value systems are different. If you've got one person that really values his security and the other one doesn't, they're not going to want to stay for the security and the pay. They're going to want to kind of do, you know, so I think it's a very personal choice. And certainly as a coach, one of the things I always try to do is like, I'm a coach on the side. You need to make the decision. What I do encourage you to do is be a critical thinker in your decision-making and getting people to really understand what their value system is. Um, and by the way, you, you know, you can do that for every age group. You can do that for senior leaders you can do that for managers, for police officers. You can do it for parents. You can teach this to kids. I got 15 year olds. I teach that, that the same concept to my children around how do you make decisions, know what your values are and line and make decisions according to those values.
0: That's a phenomenal response. And I, I got to tell you, this is really going to impact a lot of people who are a lot of guys and girls in this profession sit in this, this, just spinning their wheels purgatory. Right. What am I going to do? So this is really good right. guidance for them. And I, My response to oftentimes people say, well, the grass isn't always greener. Well, if you're standing in complete mud, there's got to be grass somewhere else. Mm -hmm. That's my theory on that a little bit. What does it say about somebody who is almost in this mentality of like, I'm stuck here. I -hmm. can't leave and kind of telling themselves this story of why they can't make changes. And I just want to offer this to people that, boy, the things that I was scared of the most in my life that I went ahead and did, whereas where I found the gold.
1: Yeah. So for anybody who has seen my Ted talk, um, I talk about this, the three different types of leaders, the three different, really it's the three different types of mindsets. Okay. And the person that is on the left chair, it's a lot of times they play that victim mindset. It's kind of life is happening to me. I can't do anything about it. I have to do this. I can't do this. And it's kind of like they're playing the victim and the leader. And when I think of leadership, it's not about title. It's not about pay. It's not about position. It's about a mindset. And in my TED talk, and my book, The Three Chairs, um, How Great Leaders Drive Communication, Performance and Engagement, I talk about the key with the great leaders who sit in the middle chair are the ones that really kind of take, they basically, they they start leading their own life and you, you lead your own life by stop playing the victim, focus on what you can control and accept what you can't. And that is a really, really fundamental leadership principle that there are things that we cannot control but, the, but we can control ourselves. We can control how we think. We can control with what we do. And the more that we put our focus on that, that's where we're really going to start making movement and actually progress and moving forward. The other thing that I encourage clients to think about is try to remove the word I can't versus I choose not to or I choose to. So versus I can't leave my job or I can't, it's like, no, I'm choosing not to leave my job because of dot dot dot, or I'm choosing to stay because of dot dot dot. You know, changing the language is really critical. Being aware of our mindset and the stories that we actually tell ourselves are is really critical. In my book, I talk about when I'm working with the different leaders and the, the toxic thinking that so many of us tell ourselves and how we can literally be emotionally paralyzed. We can feel totally stuck. We can think that life is happening to me. I have no different choices versus, well, this is a difficult situation. Here are some choices I'm choosing to do A versus B because of these reasons. So really being mindful and aware of the narrative and the story that we actually tell ourselves is a game changer. But again, all of this requires some self-reflection and a lot of us, we don't do it because we're so busy. We kind of pack our schedules. So again, it's why it's so great having podcasts like yours in terms of just helping us to really stop and think, what is that narrative that I'm telling myself? Is that true? Is that empowering? Or am I actually, am I replaying a very, a very much of a victim mindset that is actually keeping me quite paralyzed?
0: All right. Here's one. That's a little off topic, but, What's three favorite books of yours? And, you know, it can be very selfish answer. It doesn't have to be what you think should be good for the audience. Yeah, Three books that were profound for you. And then you could talk about your own book.
1: Yeah, sure. Books that I love. I love the book. One of my favorites uh, was Road Less Traveled by Dr. Scott Peck. He's uh, a psychiatrist who, this is an oldie, okay? It's a really old book, but, you know, psychiatrist. But he was- had the, so he had the psychology training, but he also has a, very, a lot of huge spiritual part in it and also philosophy. It's like this really cool book. But basically the idea that you know, a road, less travel that a lot of us, we choose, you know, we've got the popular path and we've got the little path and the little path are people that with what I'm talking about, they, they take ownership for their life. They set goals. They don't play the victim. They, they work on self-discipline. They, they reject kind of instant gratification. They focus on like the bigger picture. I love that book. It's not an easy read. It's a little bit of a sleeper, uh, but it's very profound. So I love that one. I love, uh, all of Patrick Lencioni's work. I'm a big fan of his work, you know, the five dysfunctions of a team, the ideal team player, a lot of people, actually, it's interesting. They will, um, you know, get my book to kind of develop kind of your own self-leadership and get Patrick's books in terms of actually developing leadership from a, from a team perspective. I really like his philosophy, his mindset. So all of his books, the other one that I really love is, um, again, this is an old one is the powerful engagement, uh, written by a sports psychologist, um, Dr. Uh, Schwartz and uh, and also an entrepreneur, and it's a whole idea about kind of it's more important to manage your uh, your emotions than your time, and really kind of looking at the art and the science about kind of looking at your day and how you map out your day for kind of high performance. So I like all those books kind of for different reasons, but those are, those would be three. I I'm a I'm a minimalist. I kind of I don't hold on to stuff. Uh, but those books I I keep and I kind of will go back and actually read them and reread them. And they all kind of have little nuggets. And I like, I like learning from different people, people from science, people from medicine, people from business, you know, um, and just kind of like learning the wisdom from, uh, from other folks.
0: When you give your talks, namely the Ted talk you spoke about at the end of how your parents brought you to see a uh, educational specialist and you were told that you had a learning deficiency and you were not smart. These are things that I was told, too, based on the system, were put through, um, which is designed for a very specific person to thrive in and not many. So with that being said, when did you figure out that you were highly intelligent? When did that moment happen?
1: I don't know, actually. It's a good question. I think it was just I realized, you know, I talk about this in, in my TED Talk, being diagnosed with my learning disability, you know, failing my first Exam in high schools. I think it was in grade ten when I really kind of realized that shift that I knew that if I did not start asking for help, all of my goals and ambitions that I had in my brain were just going to go up and smoke. Like that there was a very significant difference between grade nine and grade ten. Grade nine, I'm a very strong spirit. I didn't want any help. I was you know very resistant. So any parents listening that have spirited kids, I understand them because I am one. And you have to you have to parent spirited kids very differently. And so I failed badly, felt falling So once I realized that, um, that my disability didn't define me, it was just part of how my brain worked. And I was able to kind of start putting my hand up and asking for help. And I realized that there was all these resources around me in my school that I, I could help. There was a significant shift between grade, grade nine and grade 10. And so I think grade 10 would be the, the year that I realized, wow, I, I am smart in certain areas. My brain just learn, learns differently. And, and by asking for help was going to be one of my secret sauces. And so that's why I'm a huge advocate for asking for help. Like life is not supposed to be done alone. We are supposed to get our, we need to get our tribes. We need to get our people. We need to get our resources. Like who are the people in your life that can just pour into you and, and get different ones. Right. And so so I think really this kind of interdependent mindset around listen to others, figure out who are your wise counsel, do not do life alone, uh, learn from other people, put your hand up. And once we can do that, and it just not only does it make us feel better and makes us feel more empowered, actually, we're going to start seeing results. So I think it was that shift for me. And then the more I just kind of kept on focusing on things I could control throughout high school and then actually in, into, uh, into my twenties, that's, I think it was just an evolution. I would see myself smart now, but I am not an academic naturally. I have to work like my tail off when it comes to, like, even when I went to university, I had to work four times harder than my, my friends. That's fine. I just, I realized that my, I differentiate between who I am and, and the way I learn. Um, and I think that's a really important thing that how we learn is different than who we are. How What our job is, is different. You know, this is a really important thing for all your audience as well, is that, you know, what we do is different than who we are. You know, what we do is an extension and it's an expression of who we are, but it doesn't actually, def- it does not define who we are. And really separating character versus achievement, I think is actually a really important thing as well.
0: What a great answer. And I think I heard the whole time is, Boy, attention deficit disorder is a big superpower.
1: Honestly, I actually see it as a gift. I'm so thankful for it. Somebody actually recently asked me, they were like, Karen, if you could actually rewind the clock and you could actually take it away, would you? I said, no. Never. Never. Like it is actually, it was so painful at the time. And yet I actually think it really became a little bit of my superpower because when I teach and when I speak, and even when I was actually creating the concept of the three chairs for the book, It was my learning disability literally going into high gear because my brain, the way it works is I, you know, when I would study for things in high school, I would take all this information and try to figure out how can I chunk it, how can I make all this information kind of make sense and and so when I created the concept of the three chairs, you know, my early twenties, it, that's, it was like really, that's what I was essentially doing. And so when I can teach the three chairs and I've got five-year-olds to come up to me and say, Karen, I understand this concept. And I've got Fortune 500 CEOs saying, this is the most brilliant concept I've ever seen on leadership. It's like my learning disability has kind of become my, my greatest gift. So um, but you know, for anybody listening, whether it's yourself or your children or your team members, all of us can learn to sit in that middle chair. All of us can become a great leader, but we have to lean into it and, uh, and really put our hand up. And I forgot to mention If people want, um, to really kind of like a starting point of how do I actually start? We've got an amazing free scorecard on leadership. A lot of people say, where do I even start? Go to our website, dkleadership.org. And we've got a great scorecard where people can download it and measure their emotional intelligence for themselves, their team. You can actually use it with your children. And it's a great starting place to kind of figure out how am I doing with my leadership and what are the skills? What do I have? And what do I kind of need to just lean into it? Don't play the victim, lean into it because these are are skills all of us can learn, which is why I just love the topic so much.
0: It hurts my soul when I hear people tell me that they medicate their children to conform to the school system. It really hurts my soul.
1: You know, there are so many things that people can do without medication. And, you know, I worked in a medical office for the first decade. I saw, I worked very closely with family doctors and I always let them handle the medical side. I handle the emotional side. And I know with certainty, there are so many things we can do to empower ourselves. And that's where I like people to really put their focus and train ourselves in terms of how to, how to develop these leadership skills that we're actually talking
0: about. Think about, all the wonderful things that the world would get as gifts that are being dissuaded and shut down and hindered because of essentially what we're talking about with children is the school program. I have four kids and I watch some one of my kids loves it, one of the kids middle ground, the other one it's torture for him and right. I you know you guys are confusing a disability with a real ability yeah he just is yeah. he's th- he's he's more like his father. he's just like me you know, if you really unpack it a little bit, how did I become one of the most successful people that left my high school? But I probably graduated top, bottom 10% of my class. I wasn't even right. there, I didn't even go, <laughs> right? It was not, I went to work. I was thinking about things, yeah. I was being yeah. funny. I was doing all right. this other shit, right? So yeah. yeah. I, I just feel for these kids who are being told that like ADD or ADHD is a real problem. And to be honest with you, like if you have that, congratulations, tap into it, learn how to use it. And yeah. you will have yeah. so much success, it'll blow your yeah. mind. But yeah. society tells you it's an issue, but it's not true.
1: It's interesting because I would say the majority of the CEOs that I coach have ADD or ADHD,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? And so they, it's kind of like the way that I've kind of used my learning disability kind of to my advantage. Sure, A lot of them do as well. And so I think the biggest thing is to differentiate that our marks do not define us. Okay. Our job should not define us. Our income should not define us and really helping people to kind of separate that. And really, so that is a really, really big piece for all parents and for anybody. And I get tons of emails uh, from parents that are saying, my goodness, my daughter, my son, they watched your Ted talk and they identify with your learning disabilities and they actually have hope. Good. Amazing. Look at me as a poster child in terms of like, you know, what you can do, but here's the thing is that I didn't play the victim. Okay. And that is a really important thing. So it's not just around, okay, I've got this title. I can kind of sit back. Okay. You can have a title or the disability or label or whatever you lean in going, okay, I don't have that, but what do I need to do to kind of close the gap? And so, uh, thankfully I was able to figure that out in high school. So I was a kind of lean into it. So that would be the only thing I encourage all the parents to really, you know, help your kids, really kind of lean into with whatever the issue is. And my whole philosophy around education, and I'm a big believer in education. I was just speaking at educational school board actually yesterday. And my whole philosophy is, you know, you know, my twins are 15 years old. My whole thing is, or my, as with my husband is, I hope my boys learn to like, love to learn. It's one of our biggest values that they love learning and that they're always progressing on their absolute best if we can check off those two boxes, we've done our job well as a parent. I don't care about the A's. I don't care about that stuff because I know it doesn't really matter.
0: Mm-hmm. You
1: know, you and I are both examples of that, right? Like you just, it doesn't, it doesn't matter in the big world, but I do want them to have a growth mindset. And I do really want them to love learning. And I do really want them to be able to set their goals and stretching goals and kind of working for their at their uh, personal best. And so that's a great little mantra for your kids, but also for your teams as well, um, is, uh, is really trying to instill those values.
0: That's wonderful. And- you know, I I, I got to be honest with you. I run a police education company. Nobody believes in it more than me. I probably educate more than most people you've ever met in your life. I I can't get enough of it. But I also don't want to learn fucking physics for for like uh, to grad like you know. I, so that's not what I'm here. I I'm educating in my field uh, and and in my personal self, my personal growth. But listen, this was whoa, this is a good one. Oh, you're good. Oh, let's awesome. just let's Thank just get so together. You no, know, listen we are so thankful that you, that you said, okay, thank you. It really means a lot to us. We have progressively been getting really profound people on this podcast and it's exciting for us. So it means a lot to the world. And uh, hopefully that this comes back full circle to you and we appreciate you tremendously. It was really, really nice meeting you. Hopefully it's not the last time.
1: Yes, absolutely. Let's do 2.0.
0: That's great. We will be in touch. And if you ever need anything from us, we're here. Okay.
1: Awesome.
0: You're the best. Hey, where can people find you on social media?
1: the best is so i'm on instagram it's at dr karen gordon karen's with a -A k-a-r-y-n i should uh clarify and uh website is dkleadership.org dk as stands for dr karen leadership.org
0: guys check out dr karen gordon and make sure you give her a follow for the love of god all right listen i'm gonna let you go it was really nice meeting you thank you so much for everything
1: awesome thanks so much
0: Guys, if you're in an area where you're trying to get to our classes, but we're not close to you, fret not. We actually have on-demand training at streetcop.com. You can take that course online right now, and then you could attend that training in the future at no additional cost. You can redeem your voucher, so you get two for the price of one. We don't want to deny you the ability to take this training now, especially knowing that it can keep you safe at a very minimum, putting bad guys in jail where they belong, and at the maximum, going home to your family. Check out streetcop.com for that offer.